Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we're, you know, we're not taking a week off, even if it's the summer. Kristen is traveling. I am kind of staycationing. So I have my daughter with me because it's the last week before school. Um, so we are excited that folks are, are listening even during this summer break. And we are particularly excited for some of the fantastic pitches we've been getting. We've, I think we're on. Oh my gosh. I think we're on some like PR newswire list all of a sudden because it just kind of happened in the last couple of weeks. So my favorites have been the ones for engagement rings and celebrity aging balm. And then we got a new one about uh, like an infographic about dating habits around the world for like. Which a- actually, that's probably the closest one that we've gotten that could in some <laughs> possible way be discussed in our show. Make your lips extra kissable this fall and winter. I mean, if they're willing to send us samples of like cosmetics, I, I don't know. Am I easily bought by lip gloss? I don't Possibly. know. I mean, Possibly. I don't, it's funny. I don't think, I don't know. You know, I mean, I guess do, everyone just should do their homework, right? I mean, I guess people, it's just a lot. It's easier to send one email to 10,000 people than to figure out which 5,000 people to cut off your list, you know, I guess. But I've got to believe we're like flagged in the system as like a sh- show about or for women yeah. like that's the only way <laughs> I, I can figure out how some of these pitches are coming our way yeah but you know <laughs> they are they are pretty funny they're like and let us know if you have you know somebody who wants to include something in the gift bag I don't quite understand it but none of it really goes with the show although the dating infographic I was like oh maybe this is relevant but it was um like none of it was based on data and it was just kind of crass generalizations about Oh, I didn't habits. even click on it. No. I just looked at the subject line. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, this is maybe this, maybe we will talk about this. And then I'm like, oh, no, this is just somebody made a cool infographic about whatever random thing they had half heard about what a country does, like for a gaming website. Like I was like, okay, no, that's not quite right. So we're not too particular about our jokey email, a jokey polls that we cover, but it's still got to have, it still have something vaguely based in data (laughs) (laughs) note to all the you know pr people who are probably not listening honestly (laughs) (laughs) all right well this week's top lines the race to the bottom continues one of our 2016 candidates reaches record high unfavorables 
the voters still remain extremely unenthused with both of their choices. And despite all the talk about this election being so exciting and groundbreaking, do the polls agree, or is this election actually secretly incredibly boring? Donald Trump will be going to elect, going down to Mexico. Will this shake up the race at all? There's a new Pew study out on guns. And then finally, we will wrap up with a discussion of all things back to school. So first we have not the poll of the week, but the focus group of the week. So folks may remember a few months ago, we had uh, some fun Walmart mom focus groups where we asked people if the candidates were cars or animals, what animals would they be? Everyone got a big yuck out of those, a big, I mean, yuck as in ha-ha, or maybe yuck as in gross. Anyway, uh, Peter Hart did a focus group in Milwaukee for the Annenberg School and he, Peter Hart's been doing focus groups like this for a while, um, for years. And I've been in actually, it was once in a focus group that Peter Hart moderated. It was of consultants in order to make sure people could be somewhat anonymous to the extent you can be in a focus group. They gave us fake names based on celebrities and they, like, they gave me like Gina Davis. This is, dates me again. <laughs> like, this is just because I have brown hair. Anyway, and they'd be like, and, and I was the only woman and Peter Hart would have to keep saying, so, Gina. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Like, I mean, the whole thing was kind of ridiculous. Anyway, um, so, but this is written up quite extensively uh, in the Daily 202 at the Post, but it was also on Meet the Press uh, or Sunday. And they had this very funny question like, what does the uh, campaign smell like <laughs> if you had to have a smell? And the smells were incredible. There were things like skunk farts and which I don't even know what that would be, but it's like, you know, rotten eggs, just like every kind of gross smell you could be. That's how you could think of. And that was how people would describe um, the presidential race, uh, sulfur, garbage, manure, uh, pretty incredible. But there was also quite a bit about Clinton and honesty and how they felt about Trump. And it also, I think, confirmed what we found in the last wave of Walmart mom focus groups, which is, you know, these voters are under no pretense that Trump is going to change. They don't have, you know, there's, you know, Republicans have been saying on the air for a while, you know, we'll, we'll see how he acts after X, Y, and Z date. Um, these focus group participants did not seem to think that that was going to happen. They're like, what you see is what you get. This is who he is. So I keep waiting for Trump 2.0, but, you know, the, they just don't see it happening. So um, take a look. Uh, th there's quite a bit of uh, detail online, which we'll post a link to in our show notes. Well, let's dig in then to the 2016 race. Uh, we've got a new Washington Post ABC poll that has come out at least in part on Wednesday morning. Um, and it's showing that Donald Trump's favorables are exactly where they were um, last time they checked. Uh, Donald Trump still viewed unfavorably by 63% of voters. Um, but for Hillary Clinton, her numbers have gotten a little bit worse. Um, still not quite as bad as Trump's. Um, her favorables sort of immediately following the Democratic convention had pulled close to even 48% saying that they viewed her favorably, 50% unfavorably. That has now widened out to a minus 15 favorable minus unfavorable gap with 56% viewing her unfavorably. Um, her favorables have stayed exactly the same among men. Um, or pardon me, her favorables are exactly the same compared to Donald Trump among men, which is striking. Um, so it's really women that are driving 100% of the difference in favorability between Hillary Clinton 
uh, and Donald Trump. And while Donald Trump stayed even in terms of his favorability from the early August to late August, exactly the same, he actually got worse in his faves among men and he got a little bit better with his faves among women. Um, right. <laughs> with Clinton not really moving very much among men. It's just, it's interesting. I mean, the, you know, I think still, I'm, you know, and if you looked at the subgroups in terms of party, it tells, a, I guess, a kind of similar story among Republicans. Clinton hasn't moved that much, just like she hasn't moved that much among men. She doesn't move that much in terms of Republicans. She actually worsened with uh, independents and Democrats compared to before. Um, But it's not like Trump's numbers are great. I mean, let's obviously, I mean, um, you know, over a quarter of Republicans are unfavorable toward him. Um, That's not so great. That number hasn't changed since early August. I mean, that's that's a pretty high, you know, 28% of Republicans are unfavorable toward him. Only 18% of Democrats are unfavorable toward Clinton. And that's even with that bump up and unfavorable from last time. Um, And it looks like in this poll, a lot of this and, and we'll talk about the whole immigration softening is Trump pivoting on immigration. What's going on there? We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But one of the subgroups that I noticed all of the ABC people flagging when they were tweeting this poll is the decline in favorables for Clinton among Hispanics, which is kind of sort of unusual. I I can't really put my finger on exactly what would have caused that. Um, But her favorables immediately following the Democratic convention were amazing with Hispanics, have fallen. She's still in net favorable, but have fallen to only 55 favorable, 40 percent unfavorable. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, regardless of his pivot or softening or whatever has been floated out there, his numbers have not moved. He is still viewed unfavorably by 80% of Hispanic voters. Yeah, I mean, he's still he's still got a way he's still got a ways to go. <laughs> Even if he lived in Mexico from now until November, maybe that would be the one thing he could do to improve his favorables with a variety of groups. But I don't um, I don't think that that's uh, he he's going to overtake Clinton in the uh, favorabilities toward Latino department anytime soon. I mean, the other thing to remember with this poll, and we broke down the earlier poll in a lot of detail on this week, right after it came out. If folks want to take a look at it, that video is on our uh, Facebook page. Um, but that early poll was right after the Democratic convention. I mean, it was just days after the Democratic convention. The last few weeks have seen some tough news for Clinton with the sort of continued status quo, the vol- you know, the status quo of volatility, right, in terms of what goes on in Trump world. Um, but you've seen a little bit more of an increase in in uh, tough news for Clinton in terms of emails and so on, um, or at least in the coverage. And I guess it reflects what you see overall, which is a little bit of a tightening in the race. I mean, you know, it's like a six to seven point mar- margin for Clinton um, that, you know, reflects a, a, just a, a hair of improvement for Trump and a little bit worsening for Clinton from that early August period, not just the Washington Post ABC poll, but everything else. And this is the vote. The Washington Post, but we, you know, we should also be clear, the Washington Post ABC poll is not just a move from early August. I mean, her unfaves are worse than they've ever been ever in this Washington Post ABC poll, I believe, right? That her unfaves yeah. are higher than they've ever been. So it's not just sort of reverting to the mean after the convention, there's something else going on. But that said, it's still the pattern overall holds Trump. I mean, Trump is trailing. Trump has high unfaves. Trump is changing the map, not in a good way. He can't bring new states online as he lose other states that, you know, went for Romney. Um, it, it, you know, the, the same pattern overall holds. Yeah. And this is there was a tweet that David Pluff, my he's my like one of my favorite people across the aisle, 
Um, he tweeted late last week, uh, quote, each day of this campaign seems big and interesting and crazy, but ultimately it's the least suspenseful race since 1984, forest and trees situation. Basically making the point that like this race feels uh, banana crackers crazy. I have to use one of my phrases. Right. But if you actually look at this trend line, I mean, yes, you have the, the convention bounces. It got really narrow after the Republican convention. It widened out after the Democratic convention. But it's just kind of the, the trend lines for Clinton and Trump have basically been straight parallel lines ever since the start of August. Like there's not it's not it's not that crazy. Um, and if you look at the electoral map, so I pulled up um, the, you know, the Romney Obama map and started looking back at those state polls that have come out recently. And it's really hard for me to see the map dramatically changing from the Obama-Romney map, I think North Carolina could flip. Uh, Georgia still looks ugly, but there haven't really been many polls in the last two weeks. Utah is a, a, an outlier because you've got the Evan McMullen situation, and could that take six points off the board for Trump? But overall, it I mean, some of these red states might be closer to being purple. Trump might not win as much as, as Romney did, but th- how funny that this is like such a crazy... It feel, it's an election that feels so nuts, and yet the polls are incredibly stable, and we might wind up with a map that's not so totally different from Obama Romney. Right. And it's, you know, meanwhile, it, it, we're following it all so closely, right? It's obviously, it, it, you know, creating a lot of excitement. People are paying a lot more attention. Excitement in, in terms of interest in the election, not in terms of enthusiasm, right? And you have a, a zillion polls, of course, that we can't even get to them all. And you also have a lot of outlets trying to focus on different kinds of subgroups to try and make heads or tails of why people are doing what they're doing. And we've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, things like race or education, um, how Post has something where um, they uh, d- plotted where the race was in a variety of states. And they said uh, their finding was where whites are more educated, there's more Clinton support. So, you know, college educated whites is a group that, al- you know, has always voted Republican or at least the last, however, you know, in, in modern times or recent memory. Um, but in places where. Where uh, whites are more educated, there's more Clinton support, for example, Colorado, California, Virginia, New York. Um, th- they're not just looking at battlegrounds. They're looking at a variety of states. Um, and then you had Washington Post do a piece where they sh- uh, suggested that uh, Trump has a real problem with Catholics. They spoke about Catholics overall, looking at PRRI data, um, then updated it said, okay, yes, we know that Latinos are disproportionately Catholic, but that's not what's going on. So then they redid the analysis looking at white Catholics and showed Romney at 59. He was at 59% with white Catholics, according to Pew, but Trump is down three with white Catholics. So Romney was up 19, Trump down three. That's, you know, that's a sign of, of problems. Um, so, you know, people have been tweeting about how African-Americans are over, you know, like 90 something percent unfavorable to Trump in the last um, the last uh, PPP poll. I mean, people are, are sort of looking for what the big sign is of something. But all the signs point to one, the same patterns we've typically had. And then two, 
really bad news for Trump. <laughs> you know, it's those, those two things together, that's where we are right now. I think the question is not which subgroup is important, because obviously every subgroup is important, whether you can run up the score with one group or whether this one swing group swings with this way or that way or by how much. All subgroups are important. There's no unimportant subgroup. Um, and w- what we don't know is what happens going forward? Can the race tighten enough for Trump to reverse his fortunes? Um, there's almost, you know, it, however you slice and dice things now, you're not getting a, get a new secret story that you, you can't get otherwise. Uh, well, and so one of the things that, of course, people wonder, could this have the opportunity to shake up the race is, Um, If all of a sudden the Trump campaign starts putting ads on the air, once people really start spending on TV ads, will that change things? Um, And it does not necessarily seem like that's likely to happen. Um, Right now we have a percentage of Americans who say they're seeing uh, more ads uh, supporting Clinton versus Trump. Uh, it's it's overwhelming. People are seeing Clinton ads, but of course Trump hasn't really spent money on much TV advertising, and that is reflected in this HuffPost pollster YouGov poll. Meanwhile, people are seeing more from Trump on social media. They're spending more time talking about him. There's more news stories. So Trump is, uh, you know, killing it for better or worse in the earned media game. But people clearly are understanding that he is not winning the paid media game. And overwhelmingly, Clinton is sort of dominating those airwaves. Right. So this is a thing that, you know, folks on the left talk about, like the balance of coverage and, you know, people feeling that the press is trying to show equivalency where none exists. And I think this ad versus earned media breakout is interesting. If Clinton's had a tough couple months, you know, are people even getting that information if they're mostly getting their information about Clinton from her own ads and getting information about Trump from his social, you know, earned media. Now, this doesn't break out the sort of positive or negative or the content, but um, but her own ads are not talking, obviously, about, you know, some of the hits that he's put out against her, you know, in social. Maybe that's included in his, you know, the breakout of what people are hearing about him. It's hard to know from what's public here. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is there's this focus on her trust and honesty numbers. Obviously, that's something that people have spent a lot of time talking about. They're not great, of course. But if you look at, this is another Huffington Post analysis of looking at a variety of different polls. Um, she, people trust Clinton more than Trump on a variety of issues. So maybe overall her trust numbers are weak. But if you look at a variety of different issues, she is stronger than other Democratic candidates have been against Republican candidates in the past few elections. And, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, it it raises a question, are we focusing too much on I'm not saying this is the case, but it's something we can discuss. Are we focused too much on this notion that you know, people don't trust or or don't find Clinton honest because the press or somebody is looking for a way to kind of balance all the coverage uh, and sometimes negative coverage about Trump with something negative, comparably negative to say about Clinton? When if you look beneath the surface, that you know the the that trust issue isn't there in the same way at all because she beats Trump. I, you know, we can certainly argue that both ways, but um, but it is something I think potentially worth discussing. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason why folks gravitate or why stuff like that gets covered is because. It is a real question. Is this a race that's going to be decided on issues or is this a race that's going to be decided on things like personality and temperament? I mean, these things, of course, intersect, right? If I distrust Trump's temperament, then that influences how I feel about his likelihood of being 
someone I trust on foreign policy. So they are connected. You can't just like separate the two of them completely. Um, but I think it is part of the reason why it gets talked about so much is that these factors for both candidates are so much worse than what you see even in previous elections when voters were also you know, not terribly enthused with their candidates. Um, and so it's notable that I guess people say they don't trust Clinton personally, but I guess when it comes to the issues, if you had to ask do they trust her versus Donald Trump, they would say, well, I guess I trust her more than Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, somebody tweeted at us uh, about has there been a study about undecideds and why they're undecided? Steve Shepard from Politico wrote something about undecideds, but didn't quite, you know, from the public polling, you can't, it's hard to get at why. That's a, you know, a little bit of a longer project than a lot of media outlets are doing. Um, but that doesn't mean somebody isn't working on it. Um, you'd have to, you'd probably want some sort of combination of qualitative and quantitative to really get at that in a public poll. Obviously, the campaigns internally are likely working on something like that. But, um, but you know, that's something that remains to be seen. Are folks who are still sitting on the fence, are they undecided because they're just, you know, they're typically undecided. They don't, you know, they don't follow politics. They're trying to keep a low profile <laughs> hope that they that the news about politics doesn't reach them because um, there's certainly a lot of people like that who wait till the very end and, and try to stay out of it or are they undecided because they're really trying to grapple with how they feel about the two candidates so maybe we'll see some more research on that uh, down the road um, but in terms of issues there's been one issue in particular that's been in the news for uh, uh, for Trump over the past few weeks and that's his views on immigration. And we should definitely say views with an S because he's had quite a few, it seems, over the last few weeks. Um, I don't know if it's a softening. Some people say it's been a hardening. He said, you know, maybe we're going to get some clarity today. We're recording on Wednesday where he's – I guess he's in Mexico now. Is he giving a speech tonight? I mean, he's – you know, hopefully we get some more information soon. It's quite astounding to me that – there's been he's been hard to pin down on this. That's just so incredible to me, given how much it's been part of his primary uh, message. Um, and- there was an article where they they uh, a reporter went down to uh, one of his rallies, I think in Florida, and was interviewing his supporters about this and said, "Look, you know he's come out in the last couple of days. He went on Hannity and said he was going to be softening on this issue. You know, considering things like a pathway to legal status. Like, what do you think about this? And again, this is anecdotes, not data. But the folks that this reporter was talking to were basically like, yeah, I mean, we've always known that he was going to give us more details later on, and you know that doesn't surprise me. You know, we do need to do something about the folks who are already here, but we should be deporting the criminals first. And as long as he builds the wall, I don't really care. Um, You know, so it was fascinating with the leeway that a lot of his supporters give him. So I wrote my column this week at the Washington Examiner on why I think this weird will he, won't he, is it a softening or not? Like, why I don't actually think this is going to change much with voters. Um, one, because his unfavorables with groups like Latinos are so high that him like softening on immigration is not going to magically make them love him. This stuff like that cake is so baked. Oh, yeah. Um, so so I don't think that it's going to I mean, maybe if we think about this as well, is this actually just signaling to white suburbanites? Uh, immigration is not the top issue for for most of these folks even and so when i looked at the exit polls for the gop primary 
in Florida, in South Carolina, in a whole bunch of these key states, majorities of Republican primary voters who turned out said that they supported a path to legal status over a deport them all policy. And in many cases, Trump still won those voters. In Florida, Donald Trump wins 36% of voters who say they want there to be some kind of path to legal status. Marco Rubio comes in second at 35%. I mean, Trump beat Rubio among people in Florida who wanted a path to legal status. So the idea that all of his supporters are going to abandon him because he's sort of, I, 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 I kind of am trolling him in my column because I say he's adopted the Obama-Romney immigration policy right, right. because he says that he wants to prioritize deporting criminals first, which is sort of Obama's policy. And then I did a Fox News segment against Scott Brown yesterday where he starts saying, you know, what Trump really wants to do is make there, you know, there's no more incentive for people to want to stay here. So we don't have this magnet, you know, so people will choose to leave voluntarily. <laughs> so I said, like, you basically just decided, said that the policy is self-deportation, right? Like, is that not exactly the policy that Mitt Romney put forward and it got him in a lot of trouble? Um, so I, I don't know that Trump has much of a policy beyond let's build a wall and have tough rhetoric. As but the wall, I thought, it was virtual. I mean, he even backed away off of that. Right. And so, well, but maybe he's going to come back. The thing I saw on Twitter was if Trump comes back from Mexico with one of those big cardboard checks, like <laughs> that they give away, this like paid for half the wall, love Mexico, like that would just be the most amazing troll ever. Um, but so I, I have always wondered, though, if, if for these folks that like Trump because of his tough stance on immigration and border security and let's build a wall, if it's more about frustration around assimilation than it is whether folks are actually here. Like if folks, if it was like, you can stay, but you have to learn how to speak English or you can stay, but you have to do X, Y, and Z, that that makes it much more palatable. And so I found there's this Brookings PRRI survey from June that they were tweeting about yesterday because this all came back up, um, where they found that like two thirds of Republicans, 77% of Trump supporters expressed discomfort when coming into contact with immigrants who do not speak English. Um, that for six and 10 seniors, they're bothered when coming into contact with immigrants who speak little to no English. That when it comes to this sort of angst and frustration around immigration, that it's, it's really in many ways about that question than the legal question. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, this is, I mean, this is something that obviously has come up in a lot of academic research and the study that used Gallup data that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, some of the stuff from uh, the monkey cage, uh, John Sides, we're releasing that interview. We had a great interview with John Sides, by the way, coming out next week um, that goes into some of that. And you can see this reflected also in the recent Pew study that shows some agreement and common ground along party lines um, on some of the policies about, uh, you know, whether it's um, we need border security or uh, do we need a way for those in the uh, U.S. legally to become citizens if they meet requirements that there, you know, there are there are some points of agreement here. And I, I've been saying this for a long time. It's a mistake to assume that just only Latinos care about immigration and they're the only ones who support some of these paths to citizenship uh, regulations and that um, 
and that non-Latinos don't care about that, you know, that only Latinos care about it's the most important issue for them. And for everybody else, it's some kind of problem. That's not the case. And, and that's even true with Republicans. Pew has shown for a while that Republicans have supported a pathway to citizenship. So it's not a surprise for them to continue to show that. But you're right. Pew also showed sort of confirming the Brookings PRI study that one of the places where there was not agreement is, you know, on this issue of criminality. This is something we've seen in other research, too, that um, Republicans were far more divided than Democrats who were not divided at all on whether um, undocumented immigrants were more likely to commit crimes, serious crimes than U.S. citizens. You know, the other piece is whether or not uh, Trump voters or voters overall want to see immigration increased. I mean, I think that's that's how Gallup asks it. That's a little bit more of a blunt uh, way of asking it because it's not really talking about policies. It's just this notion of should we have more or less, which is not really, as I see it, that just seems not very much what the debate is about. It's not really yeah. so much about is should we have more or less. Um, it's, you know, what do we do with people who are here or what kind or, you know, what sort of regulations are required? It's not, you know, more or less. I mean, we actually have less immigration than we have in, in years past. So, um, but, the, you know, some of these questions have tracking and they've been going on for a long time. Um, and you see now, um, if I'm looking at this correctly, more people saying we should have less than in the past. And obviously that's going to break out by party lines. But you don't have a whole lot of people in any group saying we should have more, right? And it doesn't mean that those you know subgroups who say – who don't have a lot of folks saying we should have more somehow are anti-immigrants. It's just – I think that's just a slightly different measure. Well, and actually right now, if you look at the trend going back all the way to 2001, you know, right after September 11th, there was a huge spike in the percentage of people saying we should decrease immigration. It went up to 58 percent, an overwhelming majority saying we need less immigration. But that trend line has pretty consistently come downward um, ever since that time to where, you know, going from 58 percent to 38 percent 15 years later, that's a pretty sizable drop over the course of 15 years. Um, in, in sort of the approach to, to this question. So I, I thought that the trend line, if you go back far enough, is pretty interesting to see how we've moved as a nation on that question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's bumped up a little bit from earlier in the cycle. I don't know if that's a function, if that's just, you know, normal bouncing around or if that's a function of, you know, hot rhetoric from Trump, you know, who, who's to say? Um, it, you know, it just it's just part of this larger question, which is, it's not so much about one policy or another policy. It's about the tone. Is he making just the tone so corrosive? It doesn't really matter if we're talking about, you know, pathway to citizenship or what the requirements are or whether we should have border security, which, you know, we should have border security. There aren't a lot of Democrats or, you know, fighting against border security um, and knowing who comes in and knowing who doesn't. Right. I mean, that's that's a very reasonable conversation to have. Um, but the tone from Trump and the tone that he uh, encourages his supporters to have does really corrode our dialogue. And, you know, it's very much part of, of why he's not doing well with a lot of a lot of demographics, not just Latinos. And the question is, can he fix that? Can he fix that by going to Mexico? Can he fix that by giving a speech? I mean, it, 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 I don't know how you say 
you know, I, I'm not speaking like that anymore. He certainly hasn't done anything to, in the last couple of weeks when this has been in the news to suggest that he is changing his tone, even if he's changed his policies a bit. I don't know how he fixes that in, in a way that is more appealing. If he wants to have a variety of different positions, I guess you're right. Maybe that doesn't help or hurt him either. But, he, you know, I don't see any inkling of his tone actually shifting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the stuff is – that's why I think it's it's all pretty baked in. Uh, one final point. I just want to push back a little on something you just said there about, like, well, who could be against border security? So on that Pew study where that they just released where they said, what should the priority be? Should the priority be better border security and stronger law enforcement? Should the priority be giving those who are here illegally a pathway to become citizens if they meet requirements or – should both be given equal priority. And in both parties, you have 45 to 47% saying both should be given equal priority. You right. need to look at both of these things. But it is notable, I think, that for Democrats, 43% say no, the path to citizenship should come first before we prioritize border security. And about the same percentage on the Republican side said no, first we need to secure the border, then we can talk about the other thing. So the sequencing is a, a piece of the puzzle here. And I think it's why, even though you see in the polls bipartisan agreement that we need to do both of these things, there is still large factions in each party that say, no, 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 we need to do one of these before we do the other. And because that sequence is out of order, that's why even though these polls that show, yay, look, bipartisan, happy sunshine, you know, rainbow and flowers around this issue, there are still factions in each party that say, no, 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 I want my piece first. And that's what makes this harder to achieve. Yeah. No, I hear that. I I mean, I guess – and this question is not set up this way. And maybe Pew has a question on this uh, back in the archives. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I, if you were to break this apart, I don't think you'd have many Democrats saying that they were against better border security. But you do have oh, some sure. Republicans saying that they would be against a pathway to citizenship. Not as many as the conventional wisdom, but – I think perhaps more than you have Democrats saying they'd be against borders. Sure. Well, let's talk about another issue where there's sort of bipartisan consensus on some things, but still not a ton of, of action or the, the politics of actually moving uh, legislation forward are not as easy as the polls might suggest that they would be. Um, and that's the po- that's the area of gun control um, or Pardon me, I know Margie, you don't like it. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Um, So Pew has put out another study uh, where they dig through different policies uh, in this arena, and they've split it out based on voters uh, supporting Trump and Clinton, and find that three out of four Trump supporters support background checks for private and gun show sales. Um, There is no party gap on the question of whether or not we should prevent people with mental illness from purchasing guns, 82 and 83 percent of Trump and Clinton supporters, respectively. And then this one I thought was interesting, and this sort of harkens back to that moment a few months ago when the debate about the federal no-watch list or no-fly list um, and whether or not you could buy a gun if you were on that list, when Trump kind of broke with some in his party and said, yeah, I, I kind of support this. Um, in this Pew study, 72% of Trump supporters would support the no-fly, no-buy policy, um, which, again, sort of shows the complicated cleavages on this issue within the right. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those examples where you want to look at the demogra- the subgroup breakouts, right? Because if you look at the overall, you see some of these have 74 to 83% support, and then some of them have 54 to 66% support. And 
Those are all majority support. You could very easily look at all that and say, look, a whole bunch of things have majority support. What's the issue? And the issue is there's a real tier one and a tier two. There's tier one where there's no party difference at all or we could say difference in which candidate support for presidents, basically party support. Um, and then there's tier two, federal database, high capacity ammunition clips and assault wa- assault weapons ban, where there is massive, massive difference uh, by party lines or by candidate that you support, even if there's majority overall. So it just shows like here, here's a path. Here's some low hanging fruit where even in the current climate, people um, can find some common ground um, while the overall notion of how we feel about guns, that's increasingly divided. So this is just one of those examples, like with immigration, uh, where the policies have potentially more common ground than just the notion of where are you on X issue. So there's this massive widening um, in how you feel about the either or question that Pew has been asking for a while. Um, is it more important to control gun ownership than to protect gun rights. Now, I've written about how I don't like this question wording because protecting gun rights, that's the end. Uh, controlling gun ownership is a very aggressive sounding phrase, and that's the means to the end, which is reducing gun deaths and gun violence. Um, but never mind that. They have tracking, so you just want to see how that's changed. And um, before, you know, there's always been a party divide here, about 20 points. Now it's like a 70 point divide between the two parties on how they feel um, about that question. It's it's pretty it's a pretty incredible divide. (laughs) So um, that's just a sign of how of how tricky this is, obviously. Um, And you see it also on the ban assault weapons ban, uh, which is something that it was on the tier two of the issues that Pew tested. It's one of the least popular, even though it has majority support overall it's it's lower than some of the other things they tested and there's been a drop among republicans who say they favor that than in years past so there is a real partisan uh gap here on the issue more so when you uh when you talk about the actual issue itself than on some of the specific policies but even on some of the specific policies are still a bit of a widening gap Well, as we are headed into Labor Day weekend, it is now back to school time. Um, So we're taking a look at some Gallup polling on whether people are satisfied with America's education system and with the education that their oldest child is receiving. Um, So on the question of whether you're satisfied with the education your oldest child is receiving, that has stayed incredibly consistent uh, for the last 16 years. Going back to 2001, you have About a third of Americans who say, yes, I'm completely satisfied with the education system. But then when you ask uh, Americans satisfied uh, overall sort of with the U.S. education system, so not just your own personal situation, but overall, here for uh, Gallup, for this graph, they lumped together completely and somewhat satisfied. But they've shown a huge widening of the party gap on this question lately, where you have Democrats who are pretty – a majority say that they are satisfied with the way the education system is working in America and, and with Republicans up. and that's gone up with Republicans just fallen off a cliff to where only a third of Republicans say they are completely or somewhat satisfied with the U.S. education system. I mean, just to put this in the context, they have been tracking this since 1999. And for the Democrats, it looks like it's the highest it's ever been. And for the Republicans, it's lowest it's ever been. And the gap is the widest it's ever been. So <laughs> it's just another issue where there's just a massive, massive divide. Um, 
and growing. So good news. Um, so anyway, back to school shopping. So this is a little bit more tangible school polling. So retail me not, which is where I go to find like J Crew coupons and things. They did a poll on back to school shopping. Um, 59% of parents expect to buy supplies in a store and only a third online, which seems pretty high. I mean, that's, that would buy in-store, mostly in-store as opposed to anywhere else. Um, and 20% say they're getting a smartphone. They ask what things people would buy. 21% a laptop. I guess that's for older kids. But what I found, the most surprising thing I found from this is that half of parents say they spend more on their children's clothing than on their own. I mean, maybe what? if you had like 10 kids. <laughs> you know, like, well, or, uh, you know, now that I think about it, that's actually, uh, I'm sure that's what it was, what the situation was in my household growing up because, you know, it was me and my three sisters and or me and my two sisters or three of us. And we always wanted, you know, okay, well, it's time to go back to school. So you got to buy new clothes. But like, I don't know, now that I'm an adult, I don't, necessarily buy myself back to school clothes All no. the, you know maybe maybe the turnover is just bigger because you're younger and you're growing that, mean, that actually now that I think about it that was probably the case in my house growing up um I mean maybe yeah I mean I guess if you have like a bunch of kids and they grow out of them quickly when they're littler maybe Maybe over the course of a year, you'd spend almost as much. I, I don't know. But I mean, because they do outgrow them quick. I mean, I bought some clothes for Beckett. They are 18 months and he's only 14 months. He basically. No, baby. He basically outgrew them on the way home from the album. Like, they were like, basically, <laughs> I'm like, this is your, I thought this was going to last him like through the fall and they barely are going to make it through the end of the week because. He's just a big chunk, but, um, but Lucy, all that avocado, man, uh, all that avocado. I know. I also think it depends on, I mean, if you're like, if you're in the workplace, then, you know, you've cut, you've cut, you've got to have like a particular professional wardrobe and those clothes are more expensive than if you're not in the, you know, so I think that it just, it, I think there are lots of factors at play. Yeah. So key findings, whether the race is narrowing or staying stable, as far as I'm concerned, it's always time to panic about a potential President Trump. Uh, There's common ground on immigration, but maybe not so much common ground between Trump's different positions on immigration. Meanwhile, don't worry, folks, we're also becoming increasingly partisan on guns and education. So there's that. And my back-to-school shopping is done. So that's good news. And I can promise you it'll be decades before I spend more on my children's clothes than on my own. Um, where can people find us, Kristen? You can find us on Twitter at, at the Polsters or individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Kaysolta Sanderson. We're at www.thepolsters.com where you can find our show notes. We're also on Facebook where you can get links to things we might be talking about in the upcoming episodes. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and make sure to leave us a review if you love us. Thanks so much and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, have a happy Labor Day. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. 
Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.